Hey everybody, uh, welcome to this week's episode. We are going to be wrapping up the World Tour Finals. Uh, obviously the last episode was sort of our predictions, what we thought would happen, and uh, the tournament breaking news did happen. Um, I would like to also point out there was very poor marketing around the World Tour Finals. Like, I don't I don't know, I didn't like see a ton of things on uh, online outside of like the Instagram. I kind of wish that there was something different besides like Tennis Channel covering World Tour Finals. Like I feel like an ESPN or one of the major broadcasters should pick it up. Separate rant. But uh, yeah, so we're going to do a full review of our predictions, see where we went wrong, Casper Rude, and uh, <laughs> take, uh, take, take what, what we learned from it, basically. So I think we're going to kick it off uh, with how did our predictions go? Uh, how bad did Marcus and I do? Um, f- for the most part, we, we did okay. Um, I mean, we got three out of four semifinalists, so that's 75% accuracy. That's not bad, I would say. There was always going to be one outlier, but did we think that would be Casper Rude? We definitely didn't. Um, we for sure thought it was going to be someone maybe like a Berrettini or maybe even, yeah, basically like a Berrettini was basically going to be the guy, right? Um, but unfortunately he had to withdraw, um, due to an injury which is unfortunate. However, we got to see Yannick Sinna play, which is what we wanted, what kind of the fans in Italy wanted, what everyone kind of wanted. And he played some lights-out tennis. Had a really good match with Medvedev. Unfortunately, didn't win and and make it through. But overall, really good tournament. I like the atmosphere in Turin. Um, It was refreshing to kind of be in a new place, I would say. The courts played a lot quicker than we both thought it would. Um, And that's kind of why the Casper Ruud story is kind of more shocking, considering that he also... He plays Cameron Norrie, who's a sub um, for Tsitsipas, who withdraws from injury, is down a set, gets smoked, and then comes back and wins. And then he's down a set against Rublev, comes back and win on courts, you know, indoor hard courts where he should really not be beating. Yeah, so I think the thing that I learned about Casper Ruud from World Tour Finals was this. His so-called A++ weapon, we talked about that last podcast about Everyone needs one to be like a perennial top five, you know, potential Grand Slam winner. His weapon is his mental game. Very clearly, it's his mental game. The guy has a fighting spirit, just does not give up on any point, um, doesn't think that anyone is really better than him on court, always seems to have self-belief, always keeps his cool. Um, so I was really impressed with him. I, I, I give him a lot of credit. I'm always happy to be proven wrong, and I think that uh Casper Ruud very much proved that he deserved to be there um and I think that that you know we we're going to talk about a little bit about our surprises I think he was obviously a very big surprise uh, with how well he did on the other end of that spectrum the other player that we thought that didn't was not going to do well uh Herbie Hubi Herkash really really struggled I thought uh, he had a good first set against Djokovic and took a set off of Djokovic, but then got absolutely annihilated by Yannick Sinner, who was on a three-hour notice that he was playing and just didn't even like look like he had a chance. So uh, that was a little bit more upsetting on uh, the other side of the spectrum for me, I would say. Yeah, I was a little disappointed with Hurkash, but I think that after, I mean, first of all, we kind of knew that he was going to lose Medvedev, but that was also a tough match. And then, you know, I think Sinner was also kind of ready to go. Um, I think he kind of, everyone kind of knew the Berrettini situation and you're playing it, you're coming up against a guy who there's a lot of excitement with, Bar- you know, obviously sad the Berrettini had to pull out, but then you got Sinner who everybody wanted to see, who's from Northern Italy. 
it's basically home crowd match. That's kind of tough for Hubie, and he got smoked um, because Sinner just basically couldn't miss. And then I think that kind of just deflated him for the rest of the tournament, really. I was kind of hoping that he would grab a match, um, but Zverev took care of business yeah, against I him. Yeah, I would also add to that um, as to why I was disappointed in him specifically is that Herkash and Sinner played earlier this year at the Miami Open for the Masters 1000 that Herkash won. And Herkash beat Sinner pretty handily. Uh, but this time, the script was just completely flipped. And I think that's probably a function of two things. One being what Marcus just laid out about the home crowd. You know, there's that element of, of emotion to it. And two being Yannick has very clearly improved over the course of this year. He has developed his game. And um, you know what I learned about him this tournament? That I've seen him start to do a little bit slowly but surely. He's starting to show some emotion out there. Uh, I think he always had this reputation as like ice cold, like no emotion, and people really like that about him. But I think it's really good for him to show emotion in a, a positive way. It's only positive emotion that he's showing and get the crowd with him and get the crowd on his side. And and I think that he's going to start to see dividends from that if he continues that for the rest of his career. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, his game is already so electric, so why can't he be electric with it, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and I think that, you know, he 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 has really a lot to be proud of. Obviously, that's not the way that he would have wanted to qualify for World Tour Finals. But I think if you're Yannick Sinner, you go one win, one loss, uh, three sets won to two sets lost for a World Tour Finals debut as a 20-year-old. The youngest winner of a World Tour Finals match, I think, since uh, 2009, I think it was, since Del Potro. Um really really impressive for him uh and i think it gives him something now to really build on uh going into the year ahead uh so yeah i i was happy with it i thought the i thought the round robins were really good um in terms of our predictions i think we did pretty solid i mean i i ha- i think we had three of the four semifinalists we had daniel we had zverev and we had uh Djokovic, Djokovic, obviously, and uh, and of course, uh, the fourth semifinalist that we didn't predict, Casper Ruud. Um, but I, I want I want to hear your thoughts on the Casper Ruud Andre Rublev match. That match that was basically uh, Jim Courier called it a quarterfinal um, of the World Tour Finals. Yeah, I mean, Rublev kind of showed in the first set like why he should have potentially won the match really and why he's a better player it's fascinating record he was taking the balls really early on the rise just taking it too rude but rude has this innate ability just to kind of stay in matches and he's like you know what i don't really care you know i'm gonna play my game you're probably gonna break down and especially rublev he's a little bit shaky lately i mean as we mentioned in the in the um in the, in the preview episode you know he's been kind of losing a lot in the second half of the season and it kind of it kind of got to Rublev and and Rude just kind of he again his ability to just stay in there not lose and also just not I mean not lose obvious but like also just not give you anything he's not you he's not going to beat himself he's just really not going to beat himself and that's something that got to Rublev and pushed Rude to the semifinals um I I'm impressed I really am I was not sold on Rude we kind of spoke about this last episode. I thought he was just kind of like a glorified dirt baller. Um, he's changed my opinion, and I'm really looking forward to see what he does in 2020. So what you're saying to me is that my comparison to David Ferrer is now sitting a little bit more warmly on you. 
Don't be rude. And that's going to be cut from this podcast because that is wildly, wildly corny. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, we, we got three of the four semifinals, which I think kind of proved the main point that we had from this, which was Daniil Novak and Zverev are on a very clear other level to anyone else in the field. Uh, I would give that a preface and say Yannick was kind of right there. Um, if he would have had three matches rather than two, do I think that he could have beaten Zverev? Possibly. I, I wouldn't rule it out as a no. I think it's a very real possibility. But of the players that were originally listed, there was a very clear uh, triumvirate for us. So Yeah, there's there's a clear echelon um, between the top three, and we kind of saw that. And I kind of want to go... The, the, I mean, we kind of knew Medvedev was basically going to beat whoever he was going to play, whether that be Rude, Rublev, Tsitsipas. Um, we kind of knew that. I want to go to the Zverev-Djokovic match, and I want to point something out to you, and I texted you this. Um, why Zverev has an easier time beating Djokovic than he does Medvedev? Do you uh, hear yeah, but just before you say that, I just want to hear you acknowledge who at this table predicted that Zverev would beat Djokovic. I'll admit that, but I also want you to admit that if Zverev beat Djokovic and played Medvedev again, that Zverev would win the final. Well, we can't all be oracles, so I guess you'll have to just piggyback off of my greatness. Lamal. Um, okay, so here's what I wanted to get to, and this is something that kind of Jim Courier pointed out, and I noticed this myself as well. When Because Djokovic loves to stand on the baseline so close, and he likes to take things early, Zverev, what he does is on his second serve, it all comes down to the serve with Zverev. If Zverev is serving great, he's number one in the world. By the way, fun fact before you go on your your point, how many double faults did Zverev have this tournament? I'm going to say Six. ten. You can go on on your on your talk now, but I think that's a fascinating stat. That stat explains why he won the tournament right there. Um and what he does is, so when he plays Djokovic, and Djokovic stands so close on those second serves, he hits two first serves, like we were kind of discussing in the last episode. And it works. It's a lot better than his 80-mile-an-hour cheese ball serve. Um, and the reason why he has trouble against Medvedev is because Medvedev stands all the way back. And Zverev is afraid on that second serve to hit the bomb when someone's all the way back. So what he does is he hits the cheese ball serve. It's like basically, you know, like the, you know, the pusher serve from the 12 and unders. And Medvedev is just, he's just such a good returner. He's just going to move up and hit that thing really deep and put you on your back foot. And then once you're in a rally with him, it's tough. He did change that tactic against Medvedev in the final where he served a lot more aggressive on second serves. And this is exactly why he won. So basically the key, there's really three things. And also one more thing about why he beat Medvedev. His forehand down the line was on. He usually has very tough time hitting that forehand down the line. And that's because of a technique thing. And his backhand is also so good, so he doesn't really kind of want to do it. Um, but I'm telling you, if Sverev is able to hit that forehand down the line consistently and serve at least like 75% of what he's capable of every like on a consistent basis, he'll be winning, I think, multiple slams. Yeah, I, I think that's what I sort of mentioned uh, in the preview, just talking about Zverev's game. I've seen a very clear development in his game this year, much more than I compare him basically directly to Sitsipas, right? Because they both came on the scene within a year of each other. When I look at Zverev, I'm like, this guy is going to win a slam, like multiple slams. This 
this rivalry between Daniil and Zverev, that is the new tennis rivalry. And quite honestly, Zverev might be the reason that Novak retires soon because Zverev is starting to like get Novak's number and beat him relatively consistently and push him. Um, so if, if Novak is in a position where he needs to not only be one of Daniil or Zverev, but potentially both of them, I think he could have quite a bit of trouble on his hands. Because let's remember one thing. Daniil maybe is okay on clay. Like, he's all right. Zverev is fantastic on clay. That is arguably his best surface. That's what he believes his best surface is, at the very least. So... I think I think that it's it's a good thing. I, I was very happy with this tournament because to me it said tennis is gonna like men's tennis is gonna be okay uh, for the next few years. Like these guys are gonna carry it. I think we saw Sinner who's also gonna be right there by the time by this time next year. Quite honestly, so uh, it was it was very very promising to see. Yeah, and you know what? Another great thing about kind of what happened here, especially with the Casper Ruud situation. Casper Ruud is a French Open threat. I believe so. I really do. Um, and that kind of brings in a lot of players into the French Open because now you've got Djokovic who's always a threat. Um, okay, we take out Medvedev. Tsitsipas a threat. Tsverev a threat. Nadal always a threat. Cannot count him out. And then we've got, obviously, Dominic Team, who has been injured and missing, and potentially Yannick, depending on his kind of development. I don't think he's quite there yet. I think it'll come maybe towards the second half of next year, beginning of 2023. But oh. I, I was just going to say, how, how Sinner, Sinner is a, a back. Carlos. I was going to say Carlos, Alcaraz. but uh, also Sinner back-to-back Roland Garros quarterfinals. You can't re- and the guy he lost to is Nadal. So you can't really. Uh, I I think that Sinner does deserve to be right there because as a 19 year old and a 20 year old, he has gotten to the quarterfinals. So you know, I, there's a there's a lot of of players that are going to be very very interesting um, on the dirt in the post Nadal era. I think we could probably end up going back to what Roland Garros was before. Rafael Nadal existed where it was just like oh um you know like random person from ex South American country won the French Open this year cool huge shout out to Gaston Gaudio the goat uh Gaston Gaudio is uh one of the great stories in all of tennis that is uh a topic for another day but if you are interested you can go on to Colt Tennis which is a YouTube channel and he had a fantastic uh, documentary sort of thing about Gaston Gaudio and how improbable it was that he beat Coria. Uh, really, really good stuff. And he's a great channel, so I uh, highly would recommend that. So I think the next thing that we wanted to talk about, what was your best match of the tournament? I'm going to go with a group stage match. I'm going to go with Sverev Medvedev. That was really gripping. That was really kind of the decider for the group. And it really decided who was going to be first in the group. And, you know, it went to it went to like two tie breaks. It didn't break serve at all. It was really nip and tuck. And it was really important, especially momentum swing. Even though Medvedev won, you could kind of tell like, all right, Sverev played a lot better and smarter. He just kind of choked it on some key points. But you're like, all right, if they meet again in the final, I think Sverev is basically going to figure out what he did wrong. And he's going to bring it to Medvedev in the final, which 
is exactly what he did. He kind of changed his game, especially with the forehand down the line, the second serves. He played thoroughly better. Yeah, um, I think that's a great pick. For me, there were two matches um, that really sort of stood out. I think from just a spectacle standpoint of what I enjoyed watching the most, television-wise, has to be Sinner Medvedev. That was unbelievable. The way that Medvedev, I don't know if he was trying to throw the match. I don't think he was because he changed his strategy. But the way that he was just trying to like get into Yannick's head and like use the crowd, like that was like prime 2019 Medvedev back at it again, where he is just going at the crowd, like, you know, come on, come on. Like it was awesome. Yeah, we, we, we need that med. I mean, we just need that for tennis, he, right? He's so important. He's he's essentially becoming like a Jimmy Connors-like sort of figure in the game, which is great. And, and tennis needs him, needs him so badly. So that for me was a spectacle. It was awesome. It was also just a great match. I mean, Jan just came back from being decimated in that first set. I mean, to lose a, a set six love and then come back and win the second set in the tiebreak wildly impressive uh and then push push medvedev to a third set tiebreak i think is is no easy feat considering you're playing the best hardcore tennis player in the world in my opinion uh in medvedev so so that i think from an entertainment standpoint was you know the best um and then from a quality perspective i thought that the zverev djokovic semifinal i thought that was spectacular i thought that zverev was just there were so many times in that third set where I was thinking he's going to choke. Novak's going to come back. Like he's going to go and it's going to be like 7-5 in the third. And Zverev just didn't let it happen. Like Zverev, Zverev got that break relatively early on if you remember and he had to hold three times and he did each time. Um so I think you know, Zverev, this is this is a really big deal for him. Really, really impressive. Yeah, the the turning point in that match, I don't know if you remember seeing it, was that one game Djokovic started. I think it was it might have been the game he gotten broken, or was it one of the return? I forget. He the first point of the um of the game, he hits like a sick forehand winner down the line. It's kind of like inside out down the line, and then he proceeds to miss the next three forehands, and he's like all caught up in his head about the technique and stuff. I'm like, wow. You don't see this often from Joker. This is a little bit concerning. And I kind of knew at that point, you know what? If Sverev can hold on here, he's definitely going to win the match. And Sverev held on to that really long service game at 5-3, something like that. Yeah, I think it was 5-3. And honestly, really, really impressed with him. I think it's only going to boost his confidence more. Right now, you can make an argument that him and Medvedev are actually favorites ahead of Joker for the Australian Open. And that's besides the fact that obviously Djokovic is unvaccinated currently and the Australian Open is going to require that. But I think they're currently kind of one and two, two and one favorites. I, right I now. personally, I, I agree with you. Although I did read that Novak would get vaccinated if a major required it. I thought that I had read that. I could be wrong. When did that, that report come out? a few weeks ago that I read that, but I could be wrong about that. That's a separate topic. But, um, yeah, I think also let's take a minute to just sort of think about Zverev's season. Gold medal, World Tour Finals, first person to get those in the same season since Murray in 2016. 
really consistently pushing Novak, beating Novak twice at a premier event, beat him at um, at the World Tour Finals, and he beat him in the Olympics. Got to a ton of finals uh, in the clay court season. I think he won Madrid. So, I mean, this is a really, really impressive body of work by Zverev this year on all surfaces. And I think as he continues to fix his serve and improve his serve, he's going to be a grass court threat too. So, uh, you know, this this is, um like I said, this this was a phenomenal season by Zverev. He should be really, really proud of himself. I know he made the semis of the French. How did he do at Wimbledon, and, and sorry, and the semis of the U.S. Open? How did he do at the, I think he made the semis of the Australian and Wimbledon. Am I correct? Um, because if, if yes, you're making it to the final you know the final four of every major slam that means you're kind of making it right because he had some serious trouble early on kind of making it deep in the slams he would do really well at the masters and at the world tour finals events but he would have some serious trouble in the slams i have a theory behind it um but i'm not going to share that so his 2021 grand slam record quarterfinals of australian open that i remember semifinals of the french semifinals of the u.s open fourth round of wimbledon who did he lose to at the Aussie and Wimbledon? At Wimbledon, let's see. One second. I can't find it. That's fine. But I think, I believe, at the Australian, he lost to, I want to say it was Sitsipas. I want to say it was Sitsipas that he lost to. And then at Wimbledon, I actually don't remember who he lost to at Wimbledon. Wimbledon had so many different upsets. That was like, do you remember the semifinals of Wimbledon this year? It was like some crazy combination of four. Um, but yeah, it, overall, Zverev, Zverev had a, a really nice season. I, I think the change in technique of his serve um, w- was really quite good. So He lost to FAA in five sets. At Wimbledon. Oh, uh, that's right. Because FAA got to the semis, that, uh, semis of the tournament, right? And then he lost to Berrettini, right? Yeah, it was... Was it Djokovic, Hurkacz? And yes. then Berrettini, FAA? Yes. Yeah, so there's our answer. Okay, well, there you go. But uh, yeah, so Zverev wins, wins the tour finals. Deservedly so. I don't think anybody could take that away from him. That's kind of the beauty of a round-robin format format is that you you really can't argue that somebody doesn't deserve to win it. It's not like a one and done scenario where, you know, somebody just has an off day and you're you're done. And I'll tell you why he even more deserves it is because he beat the guy in the final who he lost to in the group stage. So that kind of shows that he really does deserve. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um I have a quick question for you. We're gonna write this down. Do you think that once you get out of the round robin, it should be best of five sets rather than best of three? No. I don't think so. Um, I think best of five is honestly at this point probably just should just be left at the Grand Slams. Okay. Interesting. That was just something I thought about. All right. Last thing we want to talk about here, uh, court speed. How did the courts play his first year in Torino, obviously? I thought great atmosphere. Uh, I thought the Italian fans showed up. It looked packed every single day, every single match, which was awesome. Um so what did, what did we think? How did the court speed compare to what we expected? Um, any tournament that we would basically compare it to uh, in terms of the Masters 1000s? 
That's a good question. So they were mentioning on TV that it was supposed to be very similar to the Perry Bercy um, court, but I did not think it was at all. Perry Bercy is known to be extremely slow, kind of really supports kind of the grinders of the tour. Um, the previous World Tour final courts were always low bouncing, but about medium pace, you know, kind of neutral. These looked a little bit quicker, um, and I don't know about the bounce. It was kind of tough to tell because the camera was up a little bit higher than usual. If I had to compare it to some sort of event, um, maybe like a Basel, maybe like a 500 event. I can't really compare it to any indoor masters at this point because the only indoor masters really is on hardcore that is is Perry Bercy and the the world yeah so I actually thought that it was that they did a pretty decent job of making it as close to London as possible playing condition wise that's the tournament that I thought of uh I thought it was it it was definitely quicker than than Paris 100% it was quicker it wasn't like rapid like some uh, like Basel you know for example but uh it, it was probably somewhere in between but uh, I actually really liked the um, how the the speed of the, the the of the courts because I thought there was a good amount of net play, a good amount of people coming to net playing aggressive tennis. But at the same time, like if you wanted to have a, a baseline rally, like that could be done too. Um, and yeah, I, I thought I thought it, I I actually really liked the court speed. I I personally do not like Paris very much. I think it's an indoor hard court. We don't have enough fast surfaces on tour because grass season is so short to begin with. I want to see some speed. I want to see net play. I want to see aggressive offensive tennis. And I got it. So I was I was pretty happy. I think the speed's great. I think they should keep it. Yeah, another interesting thing that I noticed about the speed was that although it was quick, it wasn't too absurdly quick where it really favored the guys who played a lot faster. Like, for example, Hubi Hurkash, you would think, would do really well on a fast court. But he didn't have a good tournament. Now, that could be for other reasons as well, but that I think kind of played into it. And then you saw someone who was generally better on slower courts do well on this court, Casper Ruud. So I thought the surface was actually uh, right on par. I think it's exactly what the World Tour Finals kind of needs. It's a very neutral kind of surface. You know, you always hear Nadal complaining about how it should be on clay every other year or something just so that he can finally win one. Um, you know, lol. Um, but yeah, no, I thought they did a great job. I thought the tournament was great. Um, and I'm really excited for the for the next few years of the tournament being held yeah. there. Um, Torino was, I think, a pleasant surprise for me. Um, and I don't know if you caught any of the uh, next-gen finals in Milan uh, with Carlos Alcaraz just absolutely, like, curb-stomping the entire field. But uh, that was a great venue, too. So uh, Italy did a good job. Uh, fans came out, so that was great. Uh, I think that's going to just about do it for us here on this episode. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, just as like sort of a note for you guys going forward, just to keep you in the loop. Uh, Marcus and I are going to be transitioning the podcast to be posting and updating on either Monday or Tuesday, uh, just because of some feedback that we've gotten from you guys saying that you know you're more likely to listen to this if you're you know commuting to work or at school in class, whatever, and. Uh, obviously Monday or Tuesdays is more conducive to that. Yeah, Guy, make sure you're not listening to this while you're in class, okay? Only between classes. Definitely listen to it while you're in class, Guy. Don't listen to him. But <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll be transitioning over to Monday and Tuesday. As well, we're going to be shortening the format to about a half hour just because we have a lot of things that we want to talk about. And, and, and if we can get these down to a half hour, I think that's 
probably going to lead to just more podcasts, more content for you guys. And it's going to help us to be able to balance this, which uh, is honestly the hardest part. So thanks for listening. Thanks for your continued support. As always, follow us on Instagram, like our posts, DM us any ideas, any comments. I'm still waiting on the Yonex uh, debate. Um, And uh, yeah, that's going to do it for me. Marcus, your last notes. That's what I wanted to tell you the other day is that um, a girl from the Hofstra women's team, shout out to Isabella, she came up to me the other day when I was at Hofstra. She's like, dude, I'm listening to your podcast. I'm like, that's great. She's like, well, at first I was a little offended because your friend said that Yonix is like a plank of wood. Here's the thing. Prove me wrong. (laughs) All right. That's going to do it from us. Uh, Thank you for listening. Have a good one. See you later, guys. Take it easy.